I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. My name is Rich Samini, and I cover the Jets for ESPN. Let's call this the post-free agency edition of Flight Deck. The first wave of free agency is basically over. It is over, and teams are pivoting into draft mode. Pro days are winding down, and soon the teams and their brass will be hunkered down in their war rooms with draft meetings. We'll dive into free agency and all the signings and some interesting trends coming up. And in the second quarter, we're going to talk to Matt Miller, our new draft analyst at ESPN and the founder of thedraftscout.com, a tremendous resource for draft Knicks. And worth noting here that Matt was in Provo, Utah at Zach Wilson's Pro Day, so we'll get an eyewitness account. But the first order of business is the quarterback drama surrounding the second pick. Here's where it stands now. If I had to do a draft, a mock draft right now, I'm putting Zach Wilson of BYU to the Jets at number two. I think it's been trending this way for a few weeks, or at least a couple of weeks. And the events of last Friday certainly accelerate this thought. San Francisco's big trade to three. And the impressive, if not flawless, pro day by Wilson at BYU. The big tell, clearly, was San Francisco moving to three. They traded three number one picks to get the, you know, essentially the third quarterback off the board. Why Kyle Shanahan must really have a serious man crush on Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or Mac Jones because that's a ton to give up for the third quarterback off the board. San Francisco reportedly did not have trade talks with the Jets, but my understanding is that San Francisco did get wind that the two-pick is not for sale as of right now. Obviously, close ties between San Francisco and New York with Robert Sala. So it's easy to figure out how that message got to the 49ers. So it looks like right now, as we speak, that Joe Douglas is pretty comfy at number two. Now, could he be waiting for a better deal to move out? Yeah, that's always a possibility. Look, the Carolina Panthers are desperate for a quarterback. And with the eighth pick, you know, they're probably not going to get a shot at the top four. Those guys are going to be on. They may not even get a shot at the fifth quarterback. So if they want to swap with the Jets and offer number one picks in 22 and 23, would Joe Douglas listen? Yes, he would. But I know he really likes Zach Wilson, and that's what I'm hearing from people around the league who know his thinking, or at least they think they know his thinking. You're never quite sure this time of year with all the smoke screening, there is one dynamic that really intrigues me. Throughout this entire process, I've heard that Robert Sala is pro-Darnold and thinks he could make it work with Darnold, with a new coaching staff, a new scheme, and he really likes the talent of Sam Darnold, and I think that also echoed by new offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur. I'm not saying he's 
anti-Wilson or anti-Fields. It's, it's just interesting to me. And I do know this. A GM should not force a quarterback on his coach. That rarely works. You've seen it over the years in Washington, especially in 2012. They traded three number ones to draft RG3, but Mike Shanahan didn't want him, and that became a toxic situation. So I'm not saying in the end that Salah won't be on board with picking a quarterback. I'm just telling you I know from talking to people who know him that he's very pro-Darnold, and I think that just bears watching. You know where I stand, folks. And I, I just I would keep Sam and trade the pick. This is contingent, though. Now, here's let's be clear about this. This is contingent on getting a future number one. It's not simply Darnold versus Wilson. Look, I see what you see. Sam Darnold has struggled. I can't even pull out a positive stat from my next gen database that that could support Sam. Uh, by the way, Adam Gase used to call me next-gen rich. But the point is here, I can't pull out a positive stat. In fact, here's a stat that concerns me. When facing no pressure, in other words, a clean pocket, Darnold last season, eight touchdowns, seven interceptions, only an 82.9 passer rating. That's four, 34th out of 36. So that's a concerning stat. So the numbers are ugly. But still, I see potential and I think he can improve in this scheme with this coaching. I'm fully aware of the financial ramifications and the benefit to resetting with the rookie contract at quarterback. I get it. I totally get it. And, you know, like I said, if it were simply a choice of Darnold versus Wilson, I'd draft, I'd draft Wilson. But it's not that way. It's not. This pick, number two, holds tremendous value and the Jets can parlay it into a massive score. Think about this. What if you get tight end Kyle Pitts, a middle rounder, and two future number ones? You can't turn that down, in my opinion. Plus, I'm not exactly sold on Zach Wilson or any of these other quarterbacks not named Trevor Lawrence. Now, Wilson was outstanding last season against the likes of Texas State and North Alabama. This year... Get this, he faced only three defensive players in the ESPN Top 200 draft rankings. In his career, he's had only seven starts versus Power 5 and ranked teams. He went 3-4 and four with nine touchdowns and five interceptions. Those are okay numbers. Against all the other teams he faced, 47 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. You can see the picture I'm painting here. Plus, this is a weird year because of the pandemic. Teams don't have as much information on prospects as they usually do. No private workouts, no in-person interviews. I mean, all this, and, and that's important stuff, especially when you're talking about a franchise quarterback. He's your CEO, the face of the franchise. I'd like to sit down with him in a room, shake his hand, break bread with him, and look him in the eye. You can't really do that now. It's all Zoom calls. Key dates here coming up, April 8th to 10th. That's the medical check in Indianapolis. All uh, Over 100 players around the country will be checking in there to get their medical rechecks. It's important with Zach Wilson. He's got a surgically repaired right shoulder. Obviously, it doesn't seem to be bothering him. You could tell by his pro day. But, you know, it, it's important. So each team will have two representatives in Indy to look over the medicals. And that is very, very important. 
When all is said and done, I do think the Jets will end up drafting Zach Wilson and trading Sam Darnold, probably for a second or third round pick. And Joe Douglas needs to be right. He won't get a mulligan on this one. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. I'd like to welcome in uh, my guest this week. You've seen him on ESPN on all the different platforms. He's a new draft analyst at ESPN. He's a former longtime analyst for Bleacher Report. And he's the founder of the Draft Scout. And I would encourage everyone to subscribe to the draftscout.com. It's uh, great information, great resource for draft nicks. And of course, I'm referring to Matt Miller. Matt, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, Rich, I appreciate the invite, man. Yeah, well, uh, we should let's just cut to the chase right away. You <laughs> were in Provo, Utah last Friday for the highly acclaimed and, and much anticipated uh, Zach Wilson Pro Day. You had a bird's eye view, Matt. So tell us, tell our listeners what you saw that day. Yeah, Rich. I mean, it was as expected, I think, is really, you know, with pro days, you and I have been doing this a long time. With pro days, it's like you you never live up to the hype of what's expected. And, you know, I can remember whether it was Andrew Luck's pro day or Teddy Bridgewater's pro day or Jadavian Clowney's or DK Metcalf, like you never live up to expectations. And so I think you have to come in with almost a clean slate of okay, let's, there's a lot of pressure. Joe Douglas was there. Robert Sala was there. Mike LaFleur was there. They have never seen Zach Wilson throw a person would be my guess. I know I had never seen him throw a person. So you also had Arthur Smith and Terry Fondo. You had John Lynch. You had Mike Mayock, who was like five feet away from Zach the entire time. You have all these general managers. And so for a, a junior quarterback who playing in a smaller conference at a school that is not a traditional powerhouse, really being put under the spotlight for the first time. What I wanted to see was how he handled that pressure, how he, how he acted, you know, did he withdraw or was he engaging with his teammates? And, and I was impressed. I thought he did a really good job, not just throughout the 60 throw workout. It was impressive. I you know, he had a couple misses. There were, I think one deep ball, one of his receivers kind of had to wait on it, but like, that's, that's not the stuff we've seen three years of film. We've seen him throw. I think it was how he interacted with the general managers, how he interacted with his quarterback coach, John Beck, how he interacted with his teammates. You know, there was a throw that he missed to the left sideline to Dax Milne. And Zach's immediately raising his hand, tapping on the chest. He's like, Hey man, that was my bad. That was my bad. And it's almost like he wanted the scouts to know, like that was on me. That's not on my guy. And something I heard from some people who worked for BYU was that Zach really felt how important it was that, these teams come here to watch him, but they're going to see his teammates. They're going to watch Dax Milne. They're going to watch Brady Christensen. So he understood the gravity of that as well, which I think speaks to his leadership as a 21-year-old player. Well, the arm talent certainly seemed to live up to the hype. I mean, the, of course, the signature throw at the end, you know, rolling left and, and throwing off balance to the opposite hash, that that was an eye-opener. So uh, you, you think the arm talent lived up to the, uh, to the billing for everything you saw? I do. And I think, you know, I've told this story to people a million times is that you have to watch a quarterback throw in person to really understand the velocity. And that's not like a humble brag about the fact that 
I got to go watch him at the pro day, but it's it's so different when you see a quarterback throw in person. I remember watching Baker Mayfield throw in person. And the cool thing about that year was 2018 senior bowl, Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen were standing side by side throwing. And you really got to see like, man, Baker's arm is a lot stronger than I thought it would be. And it is stronger than you can watch, you know, 42 games of a guy on film, but until you're standing there watching the effort that they throw with watching the velocity, hearing the ball, until you really get to experience those things, it's hard to get a feel for who the quarterback is. Like we know Zach has a strong arm, but I think the effortlessness that comes with his throwing motion, where it's just the ball just pops out of his hand and he's not, you know, he's not gritting and grunting. You don't hear that when he throws that you get from a lot of quarterbacks. It's just, it's easy for him to throw the ball that hard. And I think that's, what's really exciting because he is young. He's still going to fill out. He's still going to get stronger. So the ability to throw with, you know, so much velocity and a great distance. And the fact that he's not having to really dial up a lot to do that is pretty impressive. Yeah. You make a good point, Matt, because I've seen quarterbacks. I mean, they have to wind up to get the ball downfield, but his throwing motion seems really compact and quick. You know, it's like, he's got quick hands. Yeah. And the ball just seems quick release and the ball just seems to come out quickly. That that's, that's my, that was my takeaway from watching from 2000 miles away. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's how it looks in person too. And like, that's why, you know, I know a lot of fans are like, ah, oh, pro days don't matter. They do. They really do. Like the results of like, he threw 60 passes, let's say 53 were completed. I didn't actually keep track, but like that doesn't matter so much, but it's the, just being able to watch the movement part, especially when, you know, because of COVID, none of us were able to go on the road at the 2020 football season, watch these players interact with them. And that's such a huge part of why Friday mattered. And so we're, we're getting, we're about a month away. You know, what lingering questions do you think talent evaluators might still have, if any, about Zach Wilson? You know, I think the, the only thing you really worry about, right? Not worry about the, the box that you're trying to check still is who the person is, you know, and, and the person and then the injuries, because <clears throat> he did have a shoulder injury. Um, I talked to some people at BYU and said that the shoulder surgery was really just from overthrowing, you know, as he was going through the recruiting process, he was a, not a highly recruited player. So he basically any chance he could get to go throw for someone to try to get a scholarship, he would do it. So they thought it was maybe overuse. He did break his hand. That seems more like a fluke thing. I think you do want to look at a guy who's, he's not super big, 6'2", 214. You want to look at that. Okay, durability, these two injuries. Do we feel like there's a causation here to where he is going to get hurt moving forward or there's a higher risk for injury moving forward? You got to check that box. And then I think the other thing is just, you know, being you know from a smaller town, being from a smaller conference, and especially for the New York Jets, you know as well as anyone that that market can be tough on young quarterbacks whether you're good or not, you know, Eli Manning was able to handle it and like stay above the fray. And, and he always just seemed almost uninterested by it. You know, other quarterbacks have really struggled with that, that pressure and that spotlight. So I think that's the thing that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala and, and their staffs have to figure out is, you know, is Zach Wilson the type of player in person who he comes to New York and it's just going to be like, okay, I'm here to play football. You know, he's 21 years old. He's from Draper, Utah, which I think the last time I looked has a population of about 40,000 people. So it's going to be a little bit different when he gets up there. And so I think that is the key is the person that you're drafting. Can he be a leader? Because you have to be, you know, you're the franchise quarterback. You got to be able to lead. That doesn't always mean that you're, you know, Tom Brady, rah, rah, dropping F-bombs at everybody. You can be a quiet leader, but I think figuring out, you know, what type of leader is Zach? Is he a good leader? Is he someone that you feel like you can trust the franchise with? 
Yeah, I mean, you definitely need thick skin in New York. And I, I remember Bill Parcells always used to say, you know, if the guy throws three interceptions on Sunday, how is he when he gets in the huddle on Wednesday with his teammates in practice? You know, can he look them mm -hmm. in the eye? Can he still lead them? Knowing that they're looking at him thinking, you know, can this is this guy the right guy? And how does the quarterback respond to a moment like that? And it's really hard, you know, in the scouting process to evaluate that sort of thing because it's such an intangible. And it's the thing that those of us, you know, whether it's me or Mel or Todd or people who do it for NFL teams, it's what you miss on the most because you either just don't know or there's, you know, like the Isaiah Wilson situation with the Tennessee Titans and now Miami Dolphins. You know, sometimes you think you know and you really don't. And so when you're spending the number two pick on a quarterback and you're you're moving on from a player who was drafted third overall just three years ago at the same position, you have to make sure you're getting a person that you trust as much as a, a player that you trust. So I'll ask you point blank, Matt. Uh, it, it's actually a split question. What do you think the Jets will do with the number two pick? And what do you think they should do? I think they will draft Zach Wilson. And being in Provo and just being able to like, you know, just rub elbows with people in the NFL and say, yeah, like, what do you, what do you guys think is going to happen? And everyone I spoke to, Rich said, the Jets are going to take him. That's the, that's the feeling around the NFL right now. So the Jets will take Zach Wilson. Now, what should they do? That is, that is a hard question. And I, I think it's much more complex than a lot of people expect it to be because I think people look at it as Sam Darnold versus Zach Wilson. And to me, it's not that simple to me. It's Sam Darnold plus Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts, you know, it, that, that type of weapon with him. Or you trade Sam Darnold for, I, I think I saw Kimberly Martin say a third or a fourth round pick, and you, you hope that, that Zach becomes the guy. So I do feel like this regime with Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, you want to start over. And, you know, Sam has had his struggles outside of, you know, the fact that the supporting cast wasn't good. The coaching staff wasn't very good. Those things can be true. And you can still say, man, the turnovers are, are kind of tough to deal with, especially because we saw this at USC. So I think they should draft a quarterback. I'm not ready to say that, that you know, Zach Wilson is that guy. A lot of that does go back to, okay, do we feel like in that market he can handle it? Because there's no one there to groom you. You're not sitting behind Alex Smith, you know, like Patrick Mahomes did. You're not, you're sitting behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. There's, you're the guy when you're drafted number two overall. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. So I think that's the thing to figure out right now. Uh, you know, we've got the Ohio State Pro Day next week. Justin Fields will be throwing at Mac Jones Pro Days next week at Alabama. Uh, Trey Lance has had his, you know, he's out there as well. But I, I do feel like the consensus around the league right now is that Zach will be the pick. And, and for me, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm leaning that direction. If I were in the room with Joe and, and that crew, I'd say this is maybe the biggest boomer bust quarterback prospect in this class, but he is the most natural thrower by far in this group. I think he's among the most dynamic in terms of what he can do when the play breaks down. Uh, his ability to create his field vision. Those are all really, really impressive traits. And they're, they're worthy of being the number two pick in the draft. And, and honestly, I think the conversation about, you know, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is, you know, 80 spots ahead of, of Zach Wilson or these other guys. I, I think they all have some really impressive things that you could build around. And, you know, I think the hope is that Michael floor can do that, that he can take Zach Wilson and say, all right, you're going to play early, uh, but we're going to have some fun and we're going to open things up. And we want to let you, you know, go be the player that, that was amazing for BYU last year. So I want to, this is a little outside the box, but I want to ask you, so if Sam Darnold were in this draft class, mm -hmm. how would you rank the top quarterbacks if Sam were in it? 
Yeah, I get asked this a lot, and I'm usually asked when I'm not sitting in front of my computer where I can look up where I get <laughs> ranked. So I appreciate the fact that we're doing this on a podcast. So one one thing about my rankings is that I assign every player a, a number grade. So I can go back to 2018 and look and say, okay, I gave Sam Darnold a 7.2 grade, which might not mean a lot to people, but but that's the number grade I gave him. And then I can look at the you know, 2021 draft class, and I I have changed that that number scale just so it makes more sense to people. But I can look and say. Okay, I have Trevor Lawrence as a 99. He's a really good player. <clears throat> I have Zach Wilson as a 93. I have Justin Fields as a, a 93. Uh, I have Trey Lance uh, as a 92. As of right now, there's still a lot of work to be done. But I can look at that and say, okay, Sam Darnold would be the number four quarterback in this class for me. So he would come in behind Trevor Lawrence, behind Zach Wilson, and and behind Justin Fields. So on par with Trey Lance. Um, but again, I, I've probably been asked that question four times and I'm always like on a radio show or something away from my computer when I'm asked, I'm like, I'm trying to go off memory and remember this. So I'm, I'm glad that you and I are talking about it when I can literally pull up my rank and say, <laughs> okay, here's where I had this guy. Uh, but he was my top quarterback in that class. Sam Darnold was uh, no doubt about it. I, I liked his play a lot. I thought he was poised and athletic and tough. And, you know, unfortunately the turnovers have, have carried over and I, I don't think the Jets have done him any favors with what they've put around him, but um, you know, that, that was a quarterback class that I wasn't just absolutely in love with. I, I want to ask one more thing about Zach. And this is, this is a question that came up among jet fans. It became kind of a talking point, um, about the uh, captaincy, you know, so he, we all know he was not initially voted a captain last year. Yeah. And, but he was appointed one quickly. I think after one of his teammates was injured for the year, the tight end, and then, uh, Zach was essentially a captain for basically the whole year. Uh, which creates a lot of people laughing because it reminds everyone of the draft day movie with, you know, right. Callahan and his birthday party. Um, did you, did you pick up any of that when you were out there in Provo about this whole captain thing? And, and is it, is it something to be concerned about for a talent evaluator? You know, I, I actually worked on that when it first came out. Um, and, and I talked to a couple of teammates, um, some of them who were on, you know, who were captains or on the leadership council. And that's what I was told is like, Zach was always on the leadership council, even though he wasn't a captain. And, you know, that was quickly changed. And that basically being on the leadership council was a bigger honor than being an individual captain. So that's, I kind of take it for what it's worth. I, I've spent, you know, five hours around Zach Wilson. So I'm not qualified to talk about what, you know, what my view of his personality was, you know, that's a high pressure day for him. You know, he was a little quiet when we talked, but I think he was probably just exhausted as well. Right. But speaking to multiple teammates, you know, from December until now, speaking to multiple coaches, uh, both at BYU and people who played against him, everyone says that, you know, he's a great leader. He's, he's fun. He's engaging. He's a hard worker. Um, and in fact, you know, speaking to a couple of players on off on the offense side of the ball Friday, you know, they just reiterated that of like, yeah, this is, we love him. We're, we go to bat for him. And you could tell again, going back to what I said earlier, he wanted to have, you know, he wanted that pro day moment so that scouts could come in and watch the other guys on the team who maybe aren't getting as much hype. And so I think that does speak to the leadership of understanding the position he's in and that, you know, he was a big ticket. Uh, ESPN doesn't just send us to pro days for fun. Like he was a big ticket, but yeah. it also put eyes on the other players who were there, which is a really important thing. It, this is such a weird year, you know, with the pandemic and it's restricted their access to players how, from your contacts. And, and Matt, how, how do you think that's impacting teams ability to scout players? And especially with the quarterback position, because it's so important the intangibles and, and now everything's on zoom calls. You can't have private mm-hmm. workouts. 
what kind of, how do you think that's affecting teams? Oh, it's so hard. And and the teams I've talked to about that, I mean, you know, in a normal year, I'm asking them for background information on injuries and personalities. And they're, you know, maybe asking me for what, what does the league think about this player trying to get a consensus? Well, this year it's more, Hey, have you spent any time with this guy or have you heard anything about, you know, the personality or the character? And it's like, so we're all, I think, sharing notes this year, you know, trying to figure out exactly who these guys are and, and what the background is like, because as you said, you haven't spent time with them. And so you know, a player can fib their way through a Zoom interview. And that's something I, I've talked to a lot of scouts about was they were so thankful that at Senior Bowl, they actually were able to spend some time with the players in person because on a Zoom call, yeah, you could probably, you know, you, you could be coached up. You know how to answer. When in person, it's different. You know, the, you see body language. You see how interested they are in the conversation. There's a lot that goes into that. So I, I think this year will be most difficult because of that. You know, the, the shortened schedules for some teams does make things difficult. Players opting out adds another element of difficulty. But I think the biggest thing is the fact that you know, these scouts aren't spending a lot of time in person with these players. I remember Adam Gase last year after the Jets picked Makai Becton, they said he couldn't really get a full appreciation for the man's size until he met him at right. the Combine in their 15-minute interview and just how he like took up the room when he walked in and I, he's and enormous. Sort of, right. Right. <laughs> just a, you know, being, there's nothing that beats personal interaction. <laughs> exactly. And that's, what's missing so much this year. And, and I know a lot of people be like, Oh, just watch the film. Just watch the film. Yep. That's a huge part of what we all do. But again, going back to like, you know, Isaiah Wilson and we could go through, you know, Eli Apple, you know, there's a lot of players where the, the person, the maturity, the work ethic, the love of the game, that stuff all matters as much as the film. And so that's what's really been missing this year. And just lastly, Matt, we, we doesn't get much attention because the Jets have the number two pick, but they also have the number 23 pick. And I'm just curious if you could uh, toss out some names who you think might be in play with that pick, knowing what the Jets needs are. Yeah, that's maybe the more fun part right now is that we're getting close to feeling like we know who the number two pick will be. But at 23, I think the cool thing is the way the board is falling, there could be some very good defenders on the board, you know, players like Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech at corner, Aziz Ojolari, the edge rusher from Georgia. I know they picked up Carl Lawson in free agency, but uh, you could definitely, you know, add another pass rusher. I think that's an area that the Jets have needed for quite some time. Uh, my last mock draft that I did, Rich, I had them taking Greg Newsom, the second from Northwestern. He's a big corner with really good ball skills. Uh, people could go back and watch the uh, Northwestern Ohio State game where he gave Justin Fields a long, long day with his coverage ability and his length. So, I think they are in a good spot, especially you go quarterback at two and then come back at 23 and get a high caliber defender in this year's class, because we're going to have five quarterbacks go early. We're going to have four pass catchers go early. We have a couple offensive tackles go early. That's just going to push some of these good defenders down the board. Well, Jet fans will attest to this. We know they need a cornerback, so I, I like your pick there at 23. I think, I think that would be a really good pick for him or for the Jets, but uh Anyway, really appreciate this, Matt. This was really, really insightful. Love this stuff on Zach and BYU. This was great stuff, and I can't thank you enough for spending time with us. Yeah, of course. Always a good time. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy 
happy price, price line. And welcome to the third quarter. It's our Twitter mailbag. We're jumping right in with at Terrence Begley and Jay. Love this question. If Joe Douglas somehow likes another quarterback as much as Wilson and he feels he could get him at eight, does he accept a similar trade package from Carolina that San Francisco gave Miami? A developmental quarterback can sit for a half year while Darnold tries to redeem himself under a new coaching staff. Interesting question. One I analyzed in my Sunday Notes column on ESPN.com. Uh, I think that is a flawed scenario, and I know there's this thought floating out there now about how the Jets could keep Darnold and draft a quarterback. I don't see that happening, and I think, it, like I said, it is flawed. For number one, uh, you know, you can't tell me that Joe Douglas is going to like the quarterback at eight as much as he likes Zach Wilson. There's just there's going to be a drop-off, a significant drop-off, and they might not even get the fourth quarterback at eight, maybe not even the fifth quarterback. So it's risky. Also, with Sam, he is an asset right now. There is trade value there. If you hold on to him for the year, he walks as a free agent. You get nothing. And also, another reason, you're asking for a quarterback controversy by keeping Sam Darnold around uh, to compete with a, a highly drafted quarterback. It's just awkward, very awkward situation, and I think the Jets should just make a clean break if they go in that direction. Okay, next question from at Ben J. Liss. Sounds crazy, but might Darren Lee be worth a look in the new defensive scheme? Ben, not too crazy because this is the scheme that Darren Lee should be playing. It's a 4-3 scheme where he is the ideal weak side linebacker, but I don't think he would be back, even though this is a new staff, a new regime. It was more about more than playing about Darren Lee. There were some off-the-field issues with him, uh, some locker room chemistry issues. So no, I do not think he will be back. At Joe DiProspero, uh, who do you see the Jets targeting with their QB2? Gardner Minshew or um, how about Nate Mullins? Well, uh, Mullins had elbow surgery in January, Joe, so they're looking at a six-month recovery. And so you're talking about, you know, right up until training camp. And plus, he really played like garbage last year. I mean, he did not have a good year. Obviously, the connection with the coaching staff makes him a possibility. Uh, to me, that's a big question. Uh, Gardner Minshew, to me, an interesting possibility. He will be traded by Jacksonville. He's the odd man out there after they sign C.J. Beathard. We know they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence. Minshew, two years left on his contract at $1.6 million. Very affordable. Starting experience. I like that idea. I'd give up a conditional six for him. At Robbie Vallone, there's a lot of hysteria regarding the cornerbacks, but is it such a bad idea to let Austin and Bryce Hall start in 2021? Um, you're right about the hysteria part, Robbie. There is hysteria because the Jets have not addressed it in free agency. I do think that tandem will not be the tandem in 2021. Uh, neither one of them played great last year. They both allowed over a 100 passer rating as the nearest defender. It really wasn't a lot, you know, uh, in terms of metrics to say there's a lot of positives. But I, this is a, a, a regime that Joe Douglas, you know, they drafted Bryce Hall. They're high on Bryce Hall. I think he will be one of the starters. 
Uh, I do think they will draft someone either at 23 or 32 to be their other corner. So I would be really surprised if it's Austin and Hall again. Frankly, their best corner last year was uh, was Brian Poole, who's now currently a free agent. Uh, he, of course, a slot corner, though. Next, from at Komorowski Rob, can you explain the process of how teams gain compensatory picks for losing free agents? Would the Jets be able to get one for losing Jordan Jenkins, who, of course, went to the Houston Texans? It's a really complicated formula, Rob, and I will boil it down this way. You get compens- It's all based on the players you sign and the players you lose, and the Jets have spent a lot more money on players they've signed than they've lost, so they will not get a compensatory pick next year for any of these free agents. By the same token, like flipping the script, Cincinnati projects as getting a fourth rounder for Carl Lawson, losing him to the Jets. But the Jets have been spending so much in free agency the last few years, that's why they never get any compensatory picks. Next, at at Bulls56 underscore Mike, I really think the Jimmy Sexton angle is underexplored. How do you see the impact of Joe and Sam having the same agent on the quarterback decision? Uh, for those of you who don't know, Jimmy Sexton is a very prominent agent. He represents both Joe Douglas and Sam Darnold. He also represented Adam Gase last year, which was an interesting triangle. But I do think it could have some impact. You know, no doubt Jimmy's in Joe's ear trying to get him to do the right thing for Sam. You know, for, they're doing the right thing for Sam right now. Might be just giving him a fresh start and a, a change of scenery. I think he would benefit by that. So I don't know. I do think there could be some impact in there. There's certainly a little bit of a conflict of interest. And the last question is from at sports underscore FI 3ND, one of my favorites. He goes, what's the craziest free agent story you've heard while covering the Jets? Well, I can think of two come to mind. In 2004, the Jets were going hard after cornerback Antoine Winfield. He was with the Bills. He was a really good player. You just saw his son compete with uh, Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl at at safety. Uh, But he was highly coveted. The Jets thought they had him. They had a verbal commitment. He was sitting in their offices at Hofstra wearing a Jets jersey, about to sign his contract. He gets a phone call from the Vikings coach, Mike Tice, who tells him there's a private jet waiting for him at the nearby airport. Get on the jet. Fly to Minnesota. We got a better deal for you. He did, and the Jets lost a player they they literally had in their clutches. But to me, uh, a, a great one was in 1993, Reggie White, the late, great Reggie White, of course, now in the Hall of Fame, was a free agent after his time with Philadelphia. The Jets were on his tour. They did tours back in those days. He came in to visit the Jets. They took him around town, red carpet treatment. And he was in Leon Hess's Manhattan office. Leon Hess, of course, the owner of Hess Oil at the time, was so proud of his Hess trucks and how sturdy they were that he actually put a truck on the floor of his office and asked Reggie White to stand on the little toy truck to show how powerful and sturdy the truck was. So here's 300-pound Reggie White standing on a Hess toy truck, the kind of truck you see around Christmas time and you get under your Christmas tree, standing on the truck in the middle of Leon Hess's office and the truck held up, but the Jets didn't. They didn't get Reggie White. He goes to the Packers and the rest 
is history. We'll be back right after this. This is the fourth quarter, and this week we're going to be jumping into a free agency analysis here. As I mentioned at the top, the first wave is over, and the Jets add 12 players, and uh, let's talk about it. The Jets spent about $80 million in fully guaranteed money. That is about half of what the Patriots spent, but it's $25 million more than the Jets spent last year. And you know what the old saying, you get what you pay for. This is a better free agent class than last year for the Jets. They have two legitimate starters. I'm talking long-term type starters in the prime of their careers in Carl Lawson and Corey Davis. Uh, they're combining for $57 million in guaranteed money, so that's a lot. But Carl Lawson ranks 16th among edge rushers in salary. Corey Davis, 19th among wide receivers. So those numbers are palatable. The Jets not breaking the bank or, or raising the market. So the deals were within reason. And like I said, two good players. Uh, Joe Douglas identified them as the best players at their respective positions. So he took a little walk on the wild side for Joe Douglas, and he splurged. And I like it. I think the most interesting pickup is Sheldon Rankin's. Former Saints nose tackle, defensive tackle, two years, $11 million. He had a really good year in 2018. We've known he has been just really hampered by injuries throughout his career. But he thinks he has his situation resolved in his foot, ankle area. I like the risk-reward here. I think the contract protects them. They're not throwing away huge money for a player who has pretty good upside. My question here is... Where is he going to play? Uh, you know, the Jets have two, three technique tackles right now, him and Quinn and Williams. If you play them at the same time, which is, I think, what ultimately will happen, you're kind of small up front. And uh, when I say small, you're talking about two 300-pound guys. So they wouldn't have that bulky 330-pound nose tackle. That's Foley Fadakasi. But you can't play all three guys at the same time, so I'm curious to see how that works out. My sleeper addition is wide receiver Keelan Cole, productive guy inside and outside in, let's face it, a really bad Jacksonville offense. They had all sorts of quarterback problems in recent years, and yet he put up respectable numbers. I, I think it's interesting that he plays inside. I think he could be leverage against Jamison Crowder, who's got a big cap number and is due to make $10 million non-guaranteed this year. I don't think that would come into play unless the Jets draft a wide receiver with one of their first three picks. If they do that, all of a sudden it's crowded at receiver, and I could see them trying to get Crowder to take a pay cut. They would play Cole inside or perhaps even releasing Crowder at that point. So that's the flexibility that Keelan Cole offers. I know the Jets were really happy to get him. The one head-scratcher is Jared Davis, a linebacker from Detroit. It's only a one-year deal for $5.5 million, so it's not a ton of money. They project him as a middle linebacker. They think he can play in this scheme. He was not good in Detroit. He cannot cover. You can look it up. You can watch the tape. He's not good at coverage. The Jets are saying privately that he can play outside as well. 
I really do not see that. I think he has to be a middle linebacker, but that raises questions about C.J. Mosley's future. So that's why the Jared Davis uh, addition is a bit puzzling for me. I don't think Mosley's roster spot is etched in stone. So for the most part, I really like what the Jets did in free agency. They still have roughly, I think, in the 15 to 20 million range under the cap. So there's still a little bit of flexibility. They have to get these draft choices signed. So you have to leave room for that. But I think they got some solid players here. And like I said, this is a better free agent class than last year. The one glaring omission, no projected starters on the offensive line. Right now it's the same five starters. That is a concern. So I could see them drafting an offensive lineman with one of those first three picks. That's a wrap on this week's Flight Deck. I really appreciate you stopping by. want to thank my guest, Matt Miller. Thanks to producer Jeff Scopin. And please subscribe to Flight Deck. You can get us on any of the ESPN platforms or on Google Play, Apple, or Spotify. Please check us out. Subscribe and rate us and give us your comments on things we can do better. We're always looking to improve. You never stay the same. You always have to try to get better. So we appreciate you stopping by, and we'll see you next time on Flight Deck. <laughs>